Praise the Lord this morning, Grace Church. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Praise the Lord. This is not just a, and I appreciate the video so very much, this is not just another holiday weekend. This is a very somber weekend where we appreciate, we, we remember, and we appreciate the ultimate sacrifice that some of our military members have made on our behalf. We need to remember them and appreciate that sacrifice that allows us the freedoms that we enjoy so very much. So please remember them this weekend. We only have a few announcements, and, and I do appreciate all of you being here this morning. We thank you if you're joining us on live stream. We are privileged to be in the presence of God, and we look forward to what he's going to do this morning. But uh, we only have a couple of announcements. Remember that Tuesday morning prayer this this Tuesday will be at 10 a.m., but prayer meetings will be dismissed in June and July due to the camp season. And also remember that kids camp is next week, and if you have any questions, please contact Sister Farrah Bunch. God bless you this morning.
Hallelujah. Come on, that's it, Grace Church. Can we pour out that praise right now? Oh, there's a current of the Holy Ghost flowing. God's moving. Would you identify with His presence right now when you pray? From your very innermost being right now, lift up praise to Jesus. God, we wouldn't be standing here today without your breath in our lungs. We're pouring that out to you right now. the presence of God moving right now all over the building, would you just clap your hands to Jesus as a way of acknowledging His presence in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, one more time. Could there just be a shout of praise? Could there just be a rising of our voices? Could there just be a cry of exaltation? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And as I look across this auditorium today, most of you look happy to be here. If you're happy and you know it, say amen. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. And what that just tells me is this, is that you have come expecting God to do something. I just, I, I, I just believe today. I, I refuse to believe any other way. I believe that you've carved out some time in your schedule this weekend to be in the house of God because you're expecting something. You're expecting to be touched by the presence of God. Amen. And I told God in prayer uh, uh, last night, I said, I refuse to leave church today without having a move of God. I don't want status quo. I don't want to just check the box on my calendar and say I was at church on Memorial Day weekend. I want to have an encounter with the presence of God. And I know you do too. Look at your neighbor and tell them, say, I've come to have an encounter with God. Amen. Before we read from the Word of God, I do want to take a moment and just say how excited we are for the host of guests that are here today. We want all of you to know we're glad you're at Grace Church. Why don't we give our guests a great big welcome? And Farah and I are particularly excited today to have some very special guests with us all the way from Tucson, Arizona, Farrah's brother John and his family, John, Carrie, LJ, Abby, uh, Viviana, they're all here visiting with us from Arizona, and we're glad they're here today with us. And we're welcome. John has faced some, some physical sickness in his body that we've been praying for for the last year or so, and he has come uh, from Arizona this trip bringing a great report. His last scans uh, just showed uh, tremendous healing, tremendous miracle, and we're praising God for the answer to prayer. Amen. Amen. Last thing, and I want to just remind Grace Church family, don't miss Wednesday night. We're going to have a great time in church Wednesday night. We have a special presentation. It might look a little different than what you're used to, um, but it's very relevant, very important. We're going to have fun, but we're also going to kick off some very exciting things that are going to just take our church to the next level. So all of our Grace Church family, be sure to be here Wednesday night and expect a good time in the house of the Lord. That's all I can tell you about it. I can't tell you any more till Wednesday night or pastor will fire me. So that's just kind of the end of the story right there. But come with an expectant heart. Amen. If you have your Bibles today, let's turn to the Word of God without further delay. I'm going to go, to get where we're going today, I'm going to go way back into the Levitical law as a text. It's an obscure commandment to the children of Israel uh, concerning a dietary law. And I just let me say in the beginning and in passing, uh, don't get hung up on the dietary law part of it. 
in the New Testament, God gave Peter a vision and said, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean and you can eat what you want. And God was making a, a much broader statement. So don't get hung up on that part, but um, I want to use it as a text today and let's see what God has for us. Leviticus chapter 17. And we're going to read verses 10 and 11 in your hearing today. Leviticus 17, verses 10 and 11. The commandment of God through Moses to the children of Israel. Whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you. In other words, everybody. Any of those people that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood. And I will cut him off from among his people. But notice verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. And from that verse of scripture, that setting today, I'm just going to preach for a little while. I won't hold you long. This is the life. Look at your neighbor, tell them this is the life. And you may be seated in the name of Jesus. In recent years, much has been said about that elusive idea, that difficult to define idea called the quality of life. How many's ever heard of the quality of life? I'm not going to ask you how many think you're living a quality of life. Everyone pursues quality of life. Politicians promise it. Most people wonder if they're really living and achieving quality of life. What's interesting to me is that the World Health Organization has tried to devise a way to measure quality of life, happiness in all the countries of the world. They, they look at an array of factors. They look at things like GDP, gross domestic product. They look at social support, what a healthy life expectancy, expectancy is for citizens, freedom to make choices in a society, a, a wide range of factors that they look at. The country of Denmark has ranked first in happiness and quality of life for the last five years running. In 2022, the top three were Denmark, Finland, and also Iceland. Where does the United States rank in the happiness index? Well, you might be surprised to note that the United States is ranked 16th in quality of life and in happiness. Isn't it interesting that living in one of the most developed societies, if not the most developed society in all of history, is not enough to make us happy. Society places a premium on status and popularity, wealth, yet people, as a general rule, remain miserable, which can only mean one thing, that quality of life is not found in all of those things that society tells us the problem is the problem is is that all of those things status wealth portfolios uh, a million followers on Instagram whatever measure that society throws at us the problem is all of that focuses on the temporal the temporary the the carnal the the, the things uh, relevant to this life only and it ignores the fact that all of us have a spiritual component in us. Each of us also has a soul. Society won't tell you that. Culture wants you to forget that. But we all, the Bible says, have eternity in our hearts. And until the soul is satisfied, until our spiritual hunger is fulfilled, the true quality of life that everybody seeks will remain elusive. It will never be truly achieved. You'll never be really satisfied chasing the things of this world until the soul is satisfied. 
But there is good news today. And I come today to preach what is essentially a gospel message. And that is this. That the blood of Jesus Christ, when applied to a weary, troubled soul, brings life abundantly both in this world and in the world to come. It may not be preached about as often as it used to be, but I still believe in the power of the blood of Jesus to save. I believe in the power of the blood of Jesus to deliver. I believe in the power of the blood of Jesus to heal. And I believe in the power of the blood of Jesus to bring peace to troubled lives everywhere all over the world. Hallelujah. It's the blood of Jesus that brings life. It's the blood of Jesus that brings quality to a life. The old song we used to sing many years ago asked the question, Are you washed? In the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. I want to ask you that today. If you've been carrying a weight of sin and shame that you just can't shake, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? If you've been struggling in life, if, if life has not had that quality to it that you desire, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? If your worry is high and your faith is low, when was the last time that you were washed in the blood of the Lamb? And I'm here to proclaim today that you can be washed in the blood whether it's the first time or the thousandth time. We can come back and be changed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The life is in the blood. Now God doesn't always explain Himself. I was talking to someone Friday on the phone about a very difficult life situation they are facing and the questions just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming I anticipated them before I made the phone call and I I told that individual there are no answers sometimes God just doesn't tell us why just ask Job the Bible says we walk by faith not by sight God doesn't always give his reasons. But when he does stop and pause and give us reasons for something, it might be a good idea to slow down and lean in to the reasons God has for the things he does. And such is the case today in this commandment seemingly obscure in the Levitical law tucked away this long list of, of ordinances, this long list of, of, of laws that God gave His people Israel, tucked away this dietary law to not eat blood of any kind, seems odd, it seems random, it seems obscure. Why would God give them this commandment? But it turns out, in this instance, God does give His reasons for that commandment. He pauses and explains himself, if you will. Not all, it's somewhat unique, not always found in the scriptures. First of all, he says they were to abstain from blood because life is in the blood. Very simply, with blood running through your veins, you live. And without blood, you die. You've got to have blood to live. William Harvey discovered in 1618, the power of the blood circulating through the body. He could have saved himself a lot of time and trouble if he'd have just read the Bible. The, blood, the life is in the blood. But, but, but notice this statement right here. It was, a, it was an acknowledgement. It, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were commanded not to eat blood out of an acknowledgement of an utmost regard for the sanctity of life. I want you to just think about that for a moment in light of all of the headlines that are passing through your phone updates every day. A sanctity of life was there to be observed by not eating blood because life is in the blood. The second reason God gave them for not eating blood was more compelling. It was more commanding. He says it is the blood that makes atonement for your souls. So in other words, more than just the biological factor 
of blood. Israel was to treat blood sacredly because somehow in God's divine master plan, he ordained blood to be the substance by which sins would be forgiven and souls would be atoned. I, I don't know why he chose blood, but in his divine plan, that's how it works. Blood has to be shed if sin is going to be atoned. Hebrews 9.22, the writer said, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. It's just how it works. So this is the deal. Sin separates us from God. Very simply, sin is just the separation of humanity from God. In our, in our humanity, we're prone to sins and mistakes and frailties, inconsistencies that keep us from being in right standing with God. But God in all of His mercy, God in a desire to restore right relationship, God in an effort to come into communion with humanity, ordained the sacrifice of blood as that, that means by which a holy God could dwell in humanity. Their sins could be uh, forgiven, righteousness could be imparted, and life and that more abundant would be given through the shedding of blood. Because life is in the blood. Perhaps the best way to understand this divine process, this divine plan for the redemption of humanity, to understand how the life-giving power of the blood to redeem, maybe we ought to look at it for just a moment through the lens and through the eyes of John Baptist, John the Baptist, he, he stood unique among the prophets in the Bible. He, he broke what we call sometimes the 400 years of silence. There's the Old Testament, the New Testament, about 400 years in between when there was no prophet speaking uh, the words of God. And then suddenly into the narrative, into the story of history, John Baptist steps in with a word from God, breaking that silence in between the New Testaments. And he has a very unique perspective. The, Jesus referred to him as a prophet. He's a prophet. We know that. And, and so in the tradition of the Old Testament prophets, he begins to, to preach and to, to minister, to testify. And he also speaks prophetically with a very unique, very unique perspective and a unique advantage, a unique vantage point. John the Baptist was able to look back over his shoulder at that older covenant, that old testament. And he was also able to look forward and to look ahead at what was coming. And so he offers us a unique perspective. He looked back into that old testament, that 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 those ordinances, those laws. In the Old Testament, they were commanded to, to atone from sin. To atone for sin, blood had to be shed. So they would they would bring a, a lamb once a year. The, the father would bring a lamb to the priest and that, that lamb would be slain. That blood would stain that, that, uh, that pure white uh, 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 coat of the sheep. And it would run down the altar and it would pour out as an atonement for the sins of that man and his family. And it would only roll the sins ahead one year and they'd have to come back and do it all over again. The law prescribed very specific uh, uh, rituals that the priest would have to do. They would have to slaughter animals and take that blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And sprinkle it in different places so that, so that sins could be rolled forward one year. It wasn't a permanent solution. It wasn't a final solution. But it was a way to roll sins ahead and John looked back and he saw all that and, and he saw those bloody temple sacrifices and he saw hundreds of thousands of gallons of blood of animals that had been slain in an effort to try to atone sin of, of humanity and then coming through to the prophets and the prophecies of the Old Testament he would have, he would have read Isaiah he would have read Jeremiah he would have read Zechariah he would have seen in the Psalms all those prophetic utterances that uh, were given concerning uh, the redemption of man. Uh, prophecies like Isaiah 53, 5-7. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. 
and under divine anointing and with prophetic utterance, John stood there in the Jordan River, a bridge between two testaments, seeing all those bloody sacrifices down through time, seeing those uh, prophecies of the prophets. And, and he, for the first time, uh, a human being, made the link between them and a man walking his way, a man that was coming towards him on the banks of the Jordan. And somehow, when John looked up and saw Jesus, all of that Old Testament, all of those bloody sacrifices, all of those prophets collided in one uh, moment of prophetic revelation. And John was able to look at Jesus Christ and utter these immortal words when he said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Not just a lamb, but the lamb. No longer would bulls and goats and sheep have to be sacrificed and only roll sins ahead one year. But here was the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Think about what all was contained in that statement that John made. Behold the lamb which taketh away the sin culmination of prophetic voices as I've mentioned all of that coming together and being fulfilled and being revealed in the man Jesus Christ and what I love about it most is this the takeaway is this those sacrifices in the temple the the the, the blood that was shed year after year after year really it was just for one family it was just for one people group, the Jews, the Israelites, the Hebrew nation. They were the ones in covenant with God. And the blood of those sacrifices would take their sins and their sins only ahead one year. But John says, not so with Jesus. Jesus is the lamb that takes away the sin of the entire world. Not just one nationality, not just one people group, but people from every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, every race. All are welcome at the cross. All are welcome to experience the life-changing blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm thankful today that I've had my life washed in the blood of the Lamb. And I want you to know today that you can have your life washed in the blood of the Lamb. Why don't we give Him some praise today? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him would not perish but would have everlasting life. It's that life He brings that I'm preaching to you about today. It's life in the blood. We don't have to bring a sacrifice for our sins. We don't have to try to do it in and of ourselves. There's nothing we could do to earn it. We certainly don't deserve it. But because of the blood of Jesus, because of what He did on the cross, all of us have an opportunity to experience real life change. All of us have an opportunity to experience that quality of life that He promises. He said, I've come to bring life. And life more abundantly. I remember some time ago, many years ago now, several years ago, when Dawson was being treated at St. Jude. There was good days and bad days. Those of you that have experienced a, a health crisis know what that's like. And one day was a bad day. It just wasn't moving in the right direction and his numbers were not going in the right direction, and we were concerned, took him in. They said, he needs a blood transfusion. That's what he needs. He needs a blood transfusion. Well, I'm thankful for the medical science that allows for a blood transfusion. But as we all know, you have to sign some papers, and you just kind of breathe under your breath in Jesus' name before you put somebody else's blood in your body, especially when you put somebody else's blood in your son's body. But it was really the only uh, viable medical option. And so we signed the paper, said in Jesus' name, and uh, they rolled that bag of blood in on a pole. They told him, said, just pretend like it's a bag of chocolate. And uh, that's kind of what it looked like. And, uh, and thank, as I say, thank God for the medical science that, that lets them do it. They rolled that in there on a pole, on that pole, hooked it up to his port, 
and turned it on, did whatever they do to make it start. And as that life-giving substance started to flow into his body, we watched as his strength returned. His pale demeanor became flush with life. And all of a sudden, those vital signs started turning around and going back in the right direction. His numbers came up, and, and they said he's going to be all right. We're going to live to fight another day. That's what a physical tr blood transfusion does in the natural. But what I've come to preach about today is about a spiritual blood transfusion offered by Jesus Christ on Calvary. And it's not to revive physical life. It's to revive spiritual life. I want you to know today the divine blood of Jesus is still life-giving. I want you to know it's still sin-forgiving. I want you to know it's righteousness imparting. I want you to know it's soul-redeeming. And I want you to know it's salvation-extending. There's still life in the blood of Jesus today. Hallelujah. That's why John could say, in him was life. And the life was the light of man. Oh, I'm thankful for his blood today. Somebody worship him in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In him was life. And the light, life was the light of man. Yeah, in, in Jesus was the blood that flowed that gave him natural life. Oh, but it was so much more than that. And I want to just pause again at this juncture and just tell you, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. It's through His blood that we have the opportunity to step into that abundance. It's through His blood that we have the opportunity to live life to the fullest. So I'm going to tell you today, if you've walked into this place thinking that there's no way your life can turn around, if you walked into this place today thinking there's no way life could get, any, could get better for me, the hurt, the shame, the sin, the discouragement, whatever you're carrying, I want you to know it's not true. There's good news today. There is life in the blood. I'm telling you, because of the blood of Calvary's cross, what Jesus did, there is life. There is life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So here's the problem today. Here's the problem. Jesus has come to bring life more abundantly. But he said, Jesus said himself, the enemy comes to do what? To steal, kill, and destroy. So the enemy comes to bring death. Jesus comes to bring life. The enemy is the antithesis of everything that Jesus is trying to do. The enemy wants to bring death to your family, spiritual death. He wants to bring death to your dreams, death to your God-given potential, death to your faith, death to what God has called you to do, death to the miraculous that God wants to work in your life. The enemy has come to destroy all that. And that's the problem, as he's done it for a whole lot of people. Like so many dead men walking, so many people are alive, but they're not really living. The enemy has wrecked havoc in their life. They have blood, they have blood flowing through their veins. They're breathing oxygen, but spiritually they're flatlined. Had an interesting article caught my attention here a while back. It was, it was one of those, you saw the headline and it was a must read. The headline said this, it was, this was it. It said, Living with the Dead. That was the headline of the article. This is a news, newspaper, Living with the Dead. So I had to find out what this was all about. It turns out it's about a guy, true story, this guy in London literally bought and renovated a cemetery caretaker's cottage and made it his family home. This is a quote from the article. His new neighbors are the dearly departed of Fulham Cemetery. Now, Fulham Cemetery, it turns out, is an old Victorian burial ground. It is full of old graves and whatever's in those, bones, decaying remnants of flesh, whatever. It's the decaying remnants of what life used to be, bottom line. And some of you may chuckle at the idea of living in a cemetery. Some of you may shudder a little bit at the idea of living in a cemetery. But what a perfect picture of the way so many people are living their lives. 
Not a physical cemetery. No, not a, not a grave. Not a place where there's grave markers and monuments to the dearly departed. But on dead, decaying philosophies of this world that lead to nowhere. Homes, families built on eroding ideologies. Marching to the beat of the messages propounded by media, entertainment, value systems of the world that are influenced more by culture, more than God, more than, uh, they're influenced more by culture than by God. It's lives built on a cemetery of decay and death, and it leads to death. There's no future in it, there's no hope in it, and it's where so many people live their lives, just hoping for a better outcome, hoping that somehow. Dreams will be fulfilled, and somehow when I get to the end of it all, it'll all work out. But I'm telling you, it's a life built in a cemetery. It's life built on a grave of things that are dying and decaying and will, will one day erode and lead to death. There's no future in it. But what I'm preaching today is that there is a remedy because Jesus specializes in bringing life to dead situations. The Bible says, I have set before you today two choices. Choose death or choose, you can choose death or you can choose life. Therefore, choose life. I'm asking somebody today to weigh the options and to choose life. There is life in the blood of Jesus. If you need mercy today, the blood of Jesus still cleanses. G.T. Haywood was praying about a weakness in his flesh. The story is told. And he locked himself in a room. And he said, I'm not coming out till I have the victory over this thing, whatever it was. A day later, he returned with the words to the song. I see a crimson stream of blood that flows from Calvary. It's waves which reach the throne of God are sweeping over me. I want you to know it was true for G.T. Haywood, and it's true today. You can find mercy and you can find grace in the blood of Jesus Christ. If you need peace today, and who doesn't need peace in a world like ours? The blood of Jesus still brings peace. Colossians 1.20 And having made peace through the blood of His cross by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. There's peace in the blood of Jesus. If you need healing today, the blood of Jesus still brings healing. For as I read earlier, Isaiah said, by His stripes we are healed. You need salvation today? That's really the point. The blood of Jesus still brings salvation. You won't find salvation. You won't find mercy. You won't find forgiveness anywhere else but in the blood of Jesus. A relationship won't redeem you. There's nothing in this world that can redeem you. There's no stock portfolio. There's no return on your investment. There's no amount of money you can have in the bank to redeem your, your immortal soul. But the blood of Jesus, freely given, applied to your life, will give you life eternal. It's the power of the blood of Jesus. I'm preaching today. Everything you need is in the blood of Jesus. I'm bringing this to a close, musicians, if you want to get ready. <clears throat> I told you I've come. I want to have a move of God before this is over today, and I believe you do too. I want to see God work. I want to see God move pastor told a compelling story the other a few services ago about my dad my father about a song he used to sing and about the the impact of those those lyrics and uh, pastor it, it struck a chord with it struck a note no no pun intended it struck a chord with me and I uh, just been thinking a lot about my dad's testimony my uh, where where I came from I talked to the students this morning about our heritage just the, the heritage we have and uh, I texted my dad last night. I said, what, what year did you get the Holy Ghost? I knew it was the 70s. He said, 1973. I said, wow. I said, you know, next year will be 50 years that you've had the Holy Ghost. And he, had not, he said he hadn't thought of that. And I found that very encouraging, very enlightening. Anyway, here's the point. My dad lived the first part of his life, his young life, very much despair, very much building on a cemetery, very much building on a graveyard, if you will. He... Uh, he, he went off to Vietnam and, and, and at the age of 18, and he came home. He was depressed, suicidal, 
work, uh, life wasn't working out for him. And I, I guess the devil was after him. I guess he figured if I, if I couldn't kill him in Vietnam, I'm going to get him by suicide. And, and my, dad, my dad struggled with all that, just, just depression and what he had seen over there in, in war. And it just it began to eat on him. He was in that hippie generation. He wasn't a hippie per se, but that, that thought process, that philosophy was, was part of his life. And, and he was struggling. And my dad, very talented individual, he would sing and play uh, in the bar rooms at, at night to, to earn money and, and to try to find some peace and try to find some happiness. And, and he would sing and, and he, would, he would play and, and, and all of that. And, and, and none of it brought happiness. None of it brought peace. It was a life built on a graveyard. It was a life built on a cemetery. It was a life with no hope. It was a life of despair. When the lights went out, the barroom doors closed and the music stopped, he still was face to face with himself. He still had to close his eyes at night and wonder what it all meant and what it was all about and what, if, there, if any, was there any hope in his life. And one day, by the mercy of God, he walked into an apostolic church and he went down to an apostolic altar and God filled him up with the Holy Ghost, changed his life, speaking in other tongues, baptized in Jesus' name, and turned his life around. And my dad, this is, this, so I told you all that to say this. He, he was a song, he is a songwriter, he's a musician, and he, uh, he began writing songs about his new experience, his new life in Jesus, this abundant life he had found. And he told me years later, I wasn't alive at the time, but years later when I was old enough to understand, he said, he said, Dave, he said, these songs after I got the Holy Ghost, after God filled me up with the Spirit, he said, I would just sit down with my pen and I would sit down with my guitar. And he said, the Holy Ghost wrote those songs. He said, they just flowed. He said, I, it wasn't me. He said, I, I'm not that creative. I can't do that. He said, but the Holy Ghost would just come over me. And I'd begin to write on paper. And I'd begin to compose tunes. And they came. And he recorded a vinyl record album. This was in 1983. He recorded a vinyl record of those songs. We still have that record. And over the last couple of years, we've been, we've been listening to vinyl records at the house. And that's one of them that we listen to. There's a particular song my dad wrote out of, in that time. Coming out of the late 70s, his conversion into the recording of that album in the early 80s. To me, of all, I love all of his songs, but to me, this is it. This is the greatest song he ever wrote, and it explains everything. It, it, it's his testimony in one song, and it simply is called Sheltered, and this is what he wrote. He said, I'm sheltered neath the arms of the old rugged cross. Watch this. He says, I'm sheltered by the blood that my dear Savior bought. He said, I will praise him forever. His promise to claim, for I've found new life in His wonderful name. Despair, suicide, no hope, flatline dreams, flatline hopes, despair. But when the blood of Jesus was applied, everything changed. When the blood of Jesus came, it gave Him new life. It gave him promises to hold on to. It gave him a life abundantly. And it's not just my dad. It's happened countless times down through the decades. And you're sitting in a room full of people here today that it's happened to. It's happened in my life. It's happened in my family. When the blood is applied, new life comes. And abundance is ours to have. Why don't you stand with me today? So I'm getting ready to open up the front of this building for anybody that wants to have the blood of Jesus applied to their life. And you might ask today, how do I do it? How do I have the blood of Jesus applied? I want you to know today, whether it's your first time ever to come and encounter with the blood of Jesus, or if you're needing the blood of Jesus on your life for the thousandth time, it's very simple, very easy. You just lift your hands. You lift your voice. And the apostle Peter said on the day of Pentecost, Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. Bottom line is this. All you have to do is say, God, I'm turning it all over to you. I'm tired of doing it the way that leads to disappointment, the way that leads to disillusion, the way that leads to, to buried dreams and to burnout life. I'm ready to do it your way. I repent. When you do that, 
the blood of Jesus comes in and supernaturally applies to your life and you'll walk out of here in newness of life. So if you need God on any level today for anything today, I'm asking you to come down to the front. Come on, this is an evangelistic message and we need an evangelistic response. Come on, if you need healing, if you need peace, if you're just tired of fighting, and you need to say, God, I need strength to fight one more fight. The blood of Jesus will give you that strength today. Come on, there's life in the blood. There's strength in the blood. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. You got 15 more minutes, 20 more minutes to pray in the presence of God. Oh, that's it. Come on in Jesus' name. Come on in Jesus' name. That's it. That's it. That's it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody let God have his way. Somebody let God have his way. In Jesus' name. Oh, that's beautiful, Grace Church. That's beautiful, Grace Church. Pour out your heart. Pour out your life in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.